Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 15. <clears throat> Welcome to all of you. If you are new to our Bible Hour, we are covering the subject of biblical counseling. We have passed the point of the theory of psychology and psychiatry, <clears throat> and we now move into the subject of biblical or notary counseling. And I prefer the term notary counseling. I am this morning going to make a case for notary counseling from the scriptures. So that is the purpose of this morning's lesson. <clears throat> we are eight lessons in and uh, we have eight to go. I know I won't finish before Peter starts his uh, teaching, uh, but I do intend to come back and finish it. We are starting to look at some practical points of counseling. <clears throat> Sorry, I've got a bit of a scratchy throat. And uh, hopefully this will be helpful to you in your personal life and also as you uh, seek to counsel others in this church. <clears throat> my, I just noticed my, I didn't update my points. I split my lesson 7 and 8 <clears throat> and um, lesson 8 is actually part 2 of lesson 7. So uh, mine says point 2, so I may get the numbering wrong, so just correct me if I, <clears throat> if I have it wrong. Why notheric counseling and not biblical counseling? <clears throat> Are the two terms not synonymous? Um, to a great degree, there's an overlap. But I choose the term notheric counseling because the word biblical counseling has been so abused today. Those who call themselves biblical counselors, unfortunately have as a foundation some elements of humanistic, psychiatric, and psychological counseling that is sprinkled over with biblical references. In other words, it is no different to go into a Christian counselor and getting psychological counseling with a little bit of Bible. That is not biblical counseling. So I don't use the term biblical counseling even though I understand what is behind the idea of biblical counseling. I use the term nothetic counseling. If we claim we are nothetic counselors, then we distinguish ourselves from every secular approach and every Christian psychological approach in the church today. And by this term, we identify ourselves as being solely and wholly dependent on Scripture. So Nothetic Counseling aims to have the Bible as its source and foundation, but also the means through which we are able and um, willing to help people. We do not go out beyond what is written. The Scriptures alone are the sufficient means to counsel people. Now, let me start with point one, the le lexical support, that is a word study support, of the term nothetic counseling. <clears throat> the meaning of the original Greek word nuthesia, which is the noun, and nutheteo, which is the verb, provides insight into the process and activity of nothetic counseling. Romans chapter 15, <coughs> and we start in verse 14. I'm going to read it from the ESV, and then I'm going to 
flip over to uh, my nuanced translation. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, um, filled with knowledge and able to instruct one another. Now, some translations would say admonish one another. Listen to how I choose to translate this verse. I myself am completely satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness or overflowing with goodness, filled with all that is scope, knowledge, sufficient knowledge, and able to counsel, nutheteo, one another. The word counsel, nutheteo, can mean, I think I have it in your notes, page two, yeah, I, I, I put the lexical references there so you can follow up on this. <clears throat> can mean to counsel about avoidance or cessation of an improper course of conduct, also known as admonish, warn, or instruct. So BDAC, which is the, um, the first lexicon uh, that is referenced there, is one of the most commonly used lexicons for the Greek student. It is foundational in understanding the use of words, and generally, the first word used is the most commonly used word. The first word reference is the most commonly used uh, word. <clears throat> B, it can mean to admonish, instruct, and exhort. So, not only is it to counsel, but added to that, it can mean admonish, instruct, and exhort the mind. Then C, to teach proper behavior. And then D, warn, rebuke, and advise the mind. What is concurrent or consistent with all these words is the idea that the mind of the person is being spoken to, is being counseled. So when Paul says that I have full confidence that you are able to counsel one another, to instruct one another, he's saying that I am absolutely sure that you have sufficient knowledge, sufficient ability to instruct, admonish, to counsel the mind of believers. The lexical range, also known as the semantic range, relates to the instruction or the counseling of the mind. When we speak or counsel one another, we are instructing the heart of the believer how to respond to the word of God. It is not you telling them what they must do. That is not counseling. That is forceful manipulation or um, forced behavioral change. You do not have the right to tell people what to do, nor do I. But scripture does. Counseling is taking scripture and saying, listen, this is what the Bible says and you are being warned not to do this. This is what the Bible says and you are instructed to do this. The scope of the word is both don't do and do. Think about and pursue. That is what is in view when we say nothetic counseling. When we hear the word admonish, what do you think about? What is generally behind the idea admonish? Anybody? <laughs> Go ahead. Mm. Yeah, kind of. What else? 
Is it normally positive or negative? Go ahead. Correct. Correct. It's normally negative, right? It is to say, don't do this. That's commonly behind this word, admonish. However, when Paul uses this word, he uses it in the positive. I am sure that you are able to instruct, to counsel one another. So I try not to use the admonish word unless it is otherwise impossible. The sense is otherwise impossible uh, for this word instruct or counsel. Now, theory counseling is informative, formative, and instructive. Not necessarily corrective. There is an element of correction in it, but it is formative, informative, and instructive. I will let you know where we are in the notes. So I'm filling the gaps. There's gaps between the notes, between the points. While most approaches will focus on behavior, even Christian counseling focuses on outcome, just behavior, Nothetic counseling focuses on a change of mind, which is a change of heart. Do we have more copies? I printed 60, I believe. There should be... Um, uh, Ross, do you need a copy? Oh, you listen, okay. He's got ears. <laughs> if you need a copy, you can... Oh, no, they want you to have a copy. So the, the someone give you two, so... <laughs> So, nothetic counseling is not behavioral in purpose. That may change, and that should change if the mind changes, or if the heart changes. This doesn't mean that we ignore the behavior of people. Often it's behavior that drives us to counsel. Often it's wrongdoing that necessitates, listen, you need to listen to the words of the Lord. John Piper said once um, in a ser- sermon at the Resolve Conference, how many times are you going to ignore the sounding alarms of God before He has to step in and take you by the hand? In other words, you don't want God to drag you into righteousness or sanctification because that is hard. Listen while you can before the discipline of the Lord kicks in. So it doesn't mean that we ignore problems or circumstances uh, or the individual's circumstances. Regardless of what it is, Nothetic Counselors aim to give a biblical lens, a biblical framework, a biblical understanding of the circumstance or the behavior. So biblical counselors should point to, hang on, This is wrong because this is what the Bible says. Or, look, I understand your circumstances, but have you thought of looking at it in this light or through this lens? God's standard is impressed upon the hearer, not the counselors. I've I've, I've expressed this before. Often what happens in the church is personal preferences is passed off as God's standard. It is not. Just because, what illustration can I use? Let me skip that. Just because you have an idea of how things ought to operate, that doesn't make it a biblical standard. And sometimes we have preferences which is is neither right or wrong. It's just a preference. I prefer to do it this way. I prefer to eat bacon. That's not wrong. 
Amen, yes. Now, you may not prefer to eat bacon, and I will not frown on you. I'll excommunicate you, but I will not <laughs> frown. I will not frown on you if you choose not to eat bacon. But that as a preference should never become a standard. Do not make laws where God has not made laws. That is legalism. And counselors need to be careful that they don't impose superficial laws on people. The word nothetic counseling implies confrontation. Now, who of you remembers the three C's from last time? Is it three C's? Number one, it is? It is? Yes, confrontation. Number two, it is? Concern. And number three, it is? What now? Change, not K. Who said K? Was it you? It was not you. I'm sure it wasn't you. <laughs> K is part of it, but that's not, that, that will come, and I'll explain that later. But um, it is concern. Those are the three C's of nothetic counseling. It is verbal, biblical confrontation. What is meant by confrontation? I know it's a bit of a review. It's not in your notes. I'm giving you an opportunity <laughs> to counsel me. What does it mean? Okay, tell me what it does not mean. It's normally easier that way. It means confronting with? With? No. It means confronting with? No. That is the means. Yes. The scriptures. You, you Verbal confrontation, not, not in the sense that you fight with a person or you're going to say, I, I'm going to confront him on this. Where's that brother who confronted me last time? I need to confront you on using the wrong verse. Right, Mr. Byron? <coughs> Won't mention his name, but anyway. The... <laughs> The whole point is, it's not you going after them. It is the scripture convicting them. And that is behind this idea of confrontation. It's allowing the scripture to do the confrontation. You are merely the vessel, the means through which God is confronting the sinning brother or sister. It is also verbal instruction, verbal admonition, and, uh, or counsel aimed at the mind, the heart, or the soul of man. Now, why do you think it is aimed at the mind of a person? It's simple. If the mind changes, what changes? Well, the heart and the mind is synonymous. If the heart changes, what also changes? Your behavior, your actions. So that is why an authentic counsel aims at the heart. Most natural secular counseling will aim at you changing your behavior. Think about dieting. What does that change? Your eating habits. doesn't change the heart, does it? It changes your externals, the behavior. But the heart issue is not affected. When you have a problem with, I'm not saying that all people who are weighty have a problem with eating, because they are medical problems. But if you have a problem with eating, overeating, 
The problem is not overeating. The problem is what? Your lusts. Gluttony. That's what the Bible calls it. That is what biblical counseling is after. It's looking at the source. Looking at the cause, the heart. Not so much the behavior. Why? Because if the heart is changed, the behavior should also change. Now, based on Romans chapter 15, verse 14, there are some qualities of a counselor which is pretty evident. Look at the text. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourself are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct or counsel one another. A, full of goodness. There is an exceeding abundance and overflow of goodness in a notheric or biblical counselor. This is a moral quality that is characterized by its interest in the well-being of another person. You are sold on helping that individual. That is what notheric counselors ought to have. Notheric counseling is not self-centered. You do not become the heart of counseling. You are not exalting yourself in counseling. You are focused on the other person. Notheric counselors do not seek vainglory. They are not self-promoting. They are themselves not the standard, but they point to God's holy standard. They are concerned about others and are moved by that concern. It has an element of familial concern implicit in it. You do not care as much for strangers on the street as you do for people in your home, right? It's it's a different kind of care. You may have concern for them. You may have uh, just a general uh, humanistic uh, empathy for them. But when it comes to family, if they end up on the street, you should naturally want to go after them. There is a, an element of, like I said, a familial concern. They are dear to you. And unfortunately, this is why counseling in churches are so weak. Without that full of goodness concern for one another, you will not pursue one another in counseling. We are not as concerned about one another as we ought to be. This is the commendation that Paul writes to the Roman church. Interestingly, the same word appears in the list of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians. And Paul here describes that the Roman church has a God-honoring quality of having an other-minded focus. Number two, or B, filled with all knowledge. The second element that Paul raises that is a quality of a biblical counselor is that they possess sufficient knowledge. Now this all doesn't mean that they know everything. It means that they are adequately equipped for the task of counseling. They are filled with specific knowledge that relates to the knowledge of the truth. It means that these saints are equipped not with social tactics, not with psychology, not with psychiatry, 
not with humanistic approaches, but with the Word. A counselor speaks from the Word, through the Word, by means of the Word, to the heart of the counselee. They are able to counsel. In fact, let me put it this way. Fullness, uh, uh, full of goodness and full of knowledge are both necessary in order for ability to counsel to be true. You will not be able to counsel adequately if you do not have the quality of being filled with all goodness and filled with all knowledge. That, is mean you, that does not mean that you need to know everything in Scripture. It just, means to, it just means that you need to know sufficient to be able to help another believer. <clears throat> Some of us are strong on all knowledge, right? Very good in the Scriptures. And some of us are strong on being good to others. But it is very difficult to find an individual that is balanced, who possesses knowledge and full of goodness. That person is the perfect candidate to pursue counseling. When you are able to balance out the, uh, your immense knowledge with being kind and concerned about others. When you waver on either one, when the one is heavier than the other, you will have unbalanced counseling. And we need to caution against that. There are two balancing scales. These are the two balancing scales of notary counseling. You must have knowledge but he must also have concern. There must be a deep and overflowing concern for God's people that is expressed in the adequate communication of the truth. When we began, I said, uh, this is now eight weeks ago, that biblical counseling is a subcategory of what? What does biblical counseling or notary counseling fall underneath? Starts with D. Mm. Discipleship. If that is the case then, and Paul writes concerning this church, that they are able to counsel one another, what does it say for the scope of counseling? Who are to be the counselors in the church? I don't know mumbling. That sounds like my boy's talking. Yeah. We are not only to be disciples, but also be disciplers. Number three. I think it's number three. Um, yeah. Counseling found in other passages. A. Shameless counseling. First Corinthians chapter... Four, <clears throat> fourteen. I write these things to make. Uh, I, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. Now, um, the word "warn" could probably fit here, but notice the familial nature here. I do not write these things to shame you. I'm not trying to 
make you look bad. So the opposite then is true. I'm trying to counsel you. I'm trying to help you. Admonish and warning still gives the same idea of being negative, but Paul gives the opposite of that. I'm trying to help you, and even though I may be pointing out the wrong things, it is for your good. So take note that counseling does not avoid pointing out the error. But pointing out the error is not to shame the person. Now, often what happens is when a person is being counseled or when you try to do good by pointing out the error, what happens? They take it as a shameful thing. That is not what's supposed to be happening. You should see it as a means to help another person. So when we counsel, our goal is never to shame the other person, but to help them in their walk. Um, So the goal is never to shame. Paul writes to help these Corinthians uh, live better, and clearly they had wrong behavior, clearly they had a wrong theology, and he says, well, I'm pointing out the negative to counsel you to do the right thing. Saints, when you are being approached in a counseling situation, in a discipleship situation, and the negative, the wrong behavior is being pointed out, don't take it as a shameful thing. Sometimes our net result, our net response is, oh, you don't get to tell me what to do. Well, if we are family and we love one another, then my concern for you or your concern for me should not limit the freedom that we have to come to one another and say, brother, I love you. Sister, I do. I'm really concerned about you. I wouldn't use the words, brothers, I love you, to (laughs) sister. (laughs) Just choose your words wisely. Um, I'm really concerned about you, and here's why. I'm, I'm encouraging you to do the right thing, and here's why. Don't think that they are trying to crush your spirit. And counselors do not try to crush the spirit of people by just pointing out the negative. In the book of Corinth, Paul not only highlights the negative elements, but also points them to do the right thing. That is what biblical counseling is. That is what notherical counseling does. Now, is it true that people will feel shame when you highlight their sin? Sure. That's good. You should feel shame when your sin is being pointed out. Um, Scripture says that God's kindness leads us to what? Repentance. But when He shows us our sin, we should feel shame in what we are doing and not reject His discipline. The intention, the point is the intention is not sin. As the intention is not shame. Question. Why has this become such a problem? Why has the element of shame become such a problem? Do I need to explain the question a little bit more? Yes? Yeah, go ahead. Um, so, in today's psychologized world, the uh, self-esteem is 
Yeah. Uh, good point, yeah. So um, it's, it's, it's taken as a personal attack, even though you may want to help, yes? Uh, yeah, that often happens. Um, don't judge. In on which side, counselor or counselee? Um, just on, in everyone. Okay. Good point. Yeah. So often there could be shameful counseling that's taking place, and sometimes the intentions of the counselor is misread, and that can be dangerous as well. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Well said. Um, we we are by nature very careful uh, when it comes to offending, and often because we don't want to judge, yet the scripture tells us to judge righteously. We have to make discerning decisions all the time. That is judgment. It, it it's not always negative. And so when, when we do not approach the sinful behavior of a person by pointing out what God desires to be the corrective, then we are not helping them. That is not being loving. I also think because of the culture of shame, we, we feel that if we make others look bad, we are going to look bad. And, and, but that's not the intention. Your goal is never to make them look bad. The goal is to, what? Help them. Now, they may think that you are trying to make them look bad. Now, if you walk into this church and say, I just want to say something about Jack. Yeah, your intention is not so pure. We also have a culture of hypersensitivity. And that is one of the... the greatest problems that we face in our society is the minute you approach somebody, whether it's by text or whether it's by speech or whether it's by email. Listen, I get a lot of emails and I get a lot of texts and some of them are very um, um, sanctifying for lack of a better word. <laughs> um, I thank the Lord for granting me a, an elephant's skin. Uh, and I think that we need to learn to thicken our skin. When your father, mother, brother, sister loves you, by nature they want to help you. By nature they want to point out what is wrong, but also help you to do the right thing. Now, not, not everybody does that perfectly, but that is the desire is to help. Hypersensitivity says, stop telling me what to do. Stop looking at my faults. Stop pointing out my errors. Why? Because you take it personally. I saw a hand. Yeah, go ahead. Mm. Yeah, expand on that. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. the The idea of the friend um, is opposed to the idea of the fool in Proverbs, and the friend is one who's near to you. 
one who is akin to you, may not be a brother, but he is like a brother, and he walks with you, will not drop your hand, will not leave your side. He walks with you, though he may not fully agree with you, and his words, though it may be sharp and um, uh, hurtful at times, is more helpful than the soothsaying lips of a liar or a deceiver. Okay. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, Andrew. Yeah. Repentance. Yeah. Sometimes it is painful to hear, but it is good for the person. Yeah. Go ahead. Okay. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, so. Yeah. Yeah. So the counseling process is not just pointing out the wrong, but like you just said, it's building them up to see the right, to pursue the right, to comfort them if they have sinned, and say, look, uh, not to comfort the sin, but to say, look, you have sinned, and, and God is a forgiving God. You know that. He's a loving, gracious, merciful God. Think of when you were first forgiven. He didn't hold and he does not hold that sin against you. So you don't leave it just that. Listen, you are a, um, what is that proverb? A dripping tap. Um, What's that one that the men like to use about the woman? A nagging woman is like a dripping tap, right? The the men love that one. Um, Although today you have dripping taps that are men as well. But anyway, let's, let's just leave it at that. The point is that you just, you don't leave it at that like you're a dripping tap. How is it helpful? If you only point out the negative and never help them to do the right thing, that is shameful counseling. That is pointing out the wrong and not doing the, the, the positive part of nothetic counseling. We need to move on. Familial care. Familial um, counseling. I have familial care. Paul shows uh, another element that is key to counseling as dear or in the phrase dear children. He cares for them as his own. Um, there is a, a gracious and tenderness in how he treats them because they are like children to him. And it goes back to, to Elzette's uh, question. Um, when you are in the process of counseling, you don't just want to, you silly fool, screaming. Well, not. I shouldn't say you don't only want to. You shouldn't be doing that. You want to treat them like children who need nourishing help and guidance. It is not, um, it's not the idea of talking down to them as children, but rather with the tenderness that a father has in his voice, the concern that a mother has in her approach, the full attention that a parent has when a child comes to them. That is behind this idea as loving children. Paul is invested in them. I see I've got a, a missing um, um, word in three, and I deleted that in my notes. So I think it is, this is not to talk, uh, um, to talk believers as if they are children, but rather to care, uh, no, rather to 
give full attention, care and yeah, full attention. No, it's not because full attention is there. Rather, with tender care, I think that's what it is. There you go. I made up a word. The tender care, uh, concern, and uh, with full attention. Sorry about that. <clears throat> Can we really care? Uh, can we really counsel if we do not care about others? What do you think? You can't. That's not counseling. Or at least that is not no theory counseling. That is you trying to prove a point. So this it's a very thin line between doing what God desires and doing what your your own heart wants. Be purposeful counseling. I'm just going to read the translated. Uh, version Colossians 1.28, whom we announce as is Christ Jesus, counseling, or our translations would say admonishing, counseling every person and teaching every person uh, as wisely as possible so that we may present every person mature in Christ. The purpose, bullet point, of counseling is not merely to point out sin, but to help people uh, be conformed to the image of Christ. Paul begins with Christ as the hope of glory. He says, Him we proclaim, but He's also the substance of our admonition or our counseling and the goal of our counseling. That is what we aim to do in um, purposeful counseling. It is to use Christ as the model to point them to Christ in counseling so that as the goal for counseling is that they may become more like Christ. Uh, I'm going to jump over Galatians 6. I was going to do an exposition on on Galatians 6, but I'll I'll take that and move it uh, to another class. Uh, See, we have constant, consistent counseling. And again, I'm just going to read my translated text. Uh, And I know... That after my departure, fierce wolves will enter in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among yourselves, men will rise, speaking distorted things to drag uh, away disciples to follow them. Take note of that. To drag away followers of Jesus Christ to follow them. Therefore, be alert or be on the alert, remembering that for three years, night and day, I did not stop counseling each one of you with Tears, the word there is also translated as admonishing, but I think counseling fits better because Paul speaks about the personal work that is done in this church. I believe it's Ephesus. Here Paul speaks about the leaders of the church. Number one, he speaks about the motive. The need is described by the rise or the presence of false teaches the reason why pastors need to be night and day uh, counseling, spending time with God's people or the flock is because there is an ongoing influence or rise of false teachers. The presence of false teachers, bullet point, uh, and false teaching requires ongoing personal counseling. When pastors are not hands-on, they allow dangers and false teaching to fester amongst the flock. 
When pastors do not counsel, then false teaching will continue to rise in and amongst God's flock. God's preventative measure for cutting short the rise of false teaching is shepherds counseling the flock. What is the manner? Night and day and with tears. Paul says, I spent personal time with you. And now this could be taken in two ways. Counseling the believers, the entire church, or counseling the men who we were training to be leaders. I lean to the latter. I spent time with you. Night and day, spending hours crying with you. Why? Because of the flock. False teachers are prevalent and you don't have time to waste on frivolous things. This is an ongoing ministry. D, notheric counseling is word-centered counseling. This is found in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Christ's word must dwell in you. Now, our English translations, they use the word let, the word of Christ. It is so passive that I, I, I just like that form of expression. It is a command. It is very expressive. Christ's word must dwell in you richly as you teach and counsel yourselves as wisely as possible, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with grace in your heart towards Christ. It is imperative that in order for, for counseling and teaching to be effective, what must first permeate the heart of the counselor? The Word of Christ. It is not only for pastors to have the Word um, reign or rule in their heart. Everybody that is uh, in, in, in engaged in counseling should have the words of Christ permeate their heart. That is the foundation. This tells us about how people are to be counseled. If the word of Christ does not reign in your heart, how then are you counseling others? By your own wisdom. The word must richly dwell. This means abundantly overflowing with the words of Christ. It is also interesting that it doesn't say the word of God. The word of God is often used in the Old Testament to speak about God's very words given to people or the statutes or the, the written down commandments of God. And Paul uses it as an, in, in an equalitative sense to the words of God. And so he says instead of the words of God, he says the words of Christ. That is a, an argument for the inspiration of the words of Christ, which is the New Testament. So he's saying that the words of Christ has the same equal value as the words of Yahweh, and therefore this word needs to govern how you counsel. Only the word needs to permeate the lives of God's people. All right. Um, I'm trying to find where I put that uh, bullet points. The word of Christ must richly dwell in you. This means abundantly. Um, okay, I see. I've, I've taken the bullet points out. 
Um, Sorry, I am trying to find out why that is different to your notes. Um, and overwhelmingly with the words of Christ. Only when the word permeates permeate our lives can we truly help God's people. All right, question. What are these three points, the um, ones that we just looked at, the word-centered uh, constant, consistent counseling and pur- purposeful uh, familial counseling. What do these four points presume about the counselor? What is to be true about the counselor? Number one, he's word-centered, or they are word-centered. Number two, they are devoted to Christ. Number three, they don't lean on society, culture, or humanistic approaches. They lean on Christ. Why do you think Christians do not counsel? Why, why is the church so void of counseling? It's usually just circumstantial. It's usually just situational when there's a big problem that arises. Why is it not a consistent, constant practice in the Church of Christ? What do you think? Okay. Fear of chasing away people. Anything else? Okay. That is true. Um, there's an inability. What else? Professional. There you go. Yeah. It's, it's been... We've been conditioned to think that this is something that is left for the professionals to do. I heard a noise. Did anyone want to say something? No. Okay. Um, we don't realize our responsibility. Was it you? Go ahead. Yeah, I would say that that, uh, and, and we've dealt with that in in um, reconciling speech. In that part of your means to help other person is always to look inward first, to deal with your own sin before you deal with someone else's sin. So you're always doing in, introspection. So that is probably true. Um, uh, I've I've got. I'll give you four. The four that I have. We don't realize our responsibility. We have professionalized the task. We are anemic in scripture, which is what. Um, I was going to say Calvin um, Cameron said, and we are not concerned to the degree that we pursue one another. And unfortunately, it's not just amongst the flock. It can be pastoral as well that we are just not as invested in people's lives as much as we should be. And so counseling is left up to those who want to or who can. But yet it's a task of every believer. It, it is the task of the disciple to disciple others. So it's important for us to remember these 
things. Any other questions, comments, points before I wrap up? Go ahead. Into what? Like two persons. Oh, two people. <laughs> Sorry. The scales are unbalanced, and one person is filled with the goodness, and the other is filled with all the knowledge. And uh, so can they make like a pig? And it's just, it's just, it's just, like Priscilla and Aquila, yes. <laughs> I don't. Um, Wow. Um, I think that relates to the individual <laughs> in Romans 14, uh, 15, 14. So I think it's personal that the individual has both qualities. Uh, I think you can balance one another out if you are going together and the one is a little bit more uh, filled with goodness and the other one a little bit full with the knowledge. But I don't think that's the intent. Wow. <laughs> I'll just skip over that one next. There was something else. No? Okay, for next week, I want you to consider the following four things. Can we counsel unbelievers? Come ready to dispute that or make a case for it. Who is responsible for counseling in the church? Provide proof, even if you use the words or the verses that I've used. What are the basics of counseling? I've given you some, and I'm asking you to go back and give me some of those things or some things that you find in Scripture. Go over those passages and find some elements that are basic to counseling. In the case study, how would you counsel a person who claims to be a believer who has cross-gender attraction or who dresses in the opposite uh, gender? So open a discussion. We will have that in the first half, and then I will end in the last half with dealing with counseling believers and unbelievers and how we as a church can uh, go forward with that. Yes, Yes, don't, we don't realize our responsibility. We have professionalized the task of counseling. We are anemic in scripture and we are not as concerned as we should be about believers. Should I repeat it again? Okay, cool. Thank you. Our time is up. We have uh, maybe three to five minutes left. Uh, if you